KW calling. I'm on international frequency. Come in. Knuckle up again. You know, what is this? What does this represent? Uh, because this isn't just about soda. Hello, beans. This is Dave. And Hello. Don't judge me. Don't judge me! Don't judge me! Don't judge me! Don't judge me! It's going to be called Kettle Whistle. Hello, welcome to Kettle Radio. I've got my friend Paul with me tonight. Paul Wardlin, another Long Islander like myself. The one that uh, got me started with writing to begin with. He's a publishing professional and he is a published author. He's going to talk all about his stuff. We're going to talk about some comic books and how we got started and the ridiculous ways that we got started. And um, he is basically, I got to say, he's my Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody's got one. He was mine um, early on. If not for him, there was a lot of trouble I was getting into going in every bad direction you could possibly go to. And uh, me and him, we got into writing and doing comic books, the arts, and he got me off, well, for a little while, he got me onto the right track. Um, I always found those wrong tracks anyway. And in the background here, my friend uh, Jet Noir um, recently sent me her latest release. You're going to be hearing that, uh, WTM, in its entirety at the end of the show. So stick by and hear that. And um, listen to some conversation about getting published and the dumb things we did in the very beginning before we even knew what we were doing. And right now i got a song for you uh, off the Electronic Saviors. This is Massive and Mensch. Enjoy.
Fokus an. Dieses Meer von Sternen, Fragen und tiefschwarzer Unendlichkeit. couple episodes hopefully you people listen to them i have another one here coming up shortly here i hope you like that song that uh i played a little bit ago that's called massive in mench is the name of the band and uh they're on electric electronic saviors which uh if you listen in on my interview with jim samonic very very brave guy who put this anthology together to fight cancer that was episode 38 i suggest everybody listens to that and then go buy a copy of electronic saviors because it goes for a good cause dude raised a lot of money doing this and uh well, I have somebody with me right now who I did play a song for, and uh, this is an old friend, and this is a soon-to-be-featured author 
on the, the Wicked Library with Nelson W. Piles on Society 13, of course, our network. I, I have my my old friend, Paul Wardland, publishing professional. You with me, Paul? I am here. How are you, David? Awesome, awesome. Great to talk to you. It's been uh, years, but it, it always, you know what, it's like uh, the years don't really pass when we meet up. That's true. That's true. I mean, it feels like we, we just jumped right back into old conversation habits, and, uh, and that's always great. Yes. That's always fun. Absolutely. Now, my partner in crime is not with me right now. I should say Heather's been away for a couple episodes. She's currently trekking Japan looking for uh, giant kaiju monsters. Actually, I really cannot disclose what she's doing right now, but it's good. And uh, she'll be back. Uh, you'll be hearing from her soon. But that's Miss Heather Taddy uh, of Paranormal State fame. And uh, that's what, well, that's all I can say about that right now. And now, as for Paul, uh, again, we got you coming up on the Wicked Library. Uh, you, you sent us two stories. I hope this is a, is a good thing for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm very flattered that you asked, and um, I hope uh, you enjoy both stories. I, I did. So did Nelson. He had a hard time choosing which one to do. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, they're both fun. Uh, they're both included in my uh, collection, which is called Twisted Tumbleweed Tales, yes. which is available from Crossroad Press as an ebook. And uh, as you can tell by the title, these are stories that are uh, take place in the Old West, but they have elements of fantasy, science fiction, and horror uh, weeded throughout them. Uh, you know, I wrote them over a period of probably about a dozen years. Um, about uh, 10 of them, I think, uh, were, were published. Uh, showed up online and appeared in some anthologies, and they were just fun to do. And I, I love exploring uh, that weird west subgenre. It's and, a, I got to tell, you, I've always known that about you. I mean, you, you actually uh, subjected me to some westerns early on. Uh, we, we go back to junior high school days, and even before that. But um, uh, what's really interesting, Paul, that you, when I saw that you had that out, um, right around the same time. My my publisher asked me to do a western horror story, and I I, I looked at him like, oh, <laughs> I, 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 like because I can't write westerns. Um, I didn't think I could, and but I love horror. But it was the challenge that was fun. And this is a burning bulb uh, publishing. I should I should mention Gary Vincent, um, and he wanted to do an anthology of western horror and. And then it, within like I don't know I wrote the, the the story in in literally two hours and sent it to him because I thought it only had to be ten pages and I found out we had limitless amount of space which so it was kind of a rush job but I, I enjoyed it um, the story is in uh, it's called Westward Hose is our collection as in Hose um, not to be well yes to be confused with the John Wayne movie Westward Ho. Oh, okay. Well, they went hoes, as in the female. Yeah, you know. Because there's <laughs> lo- lots of them in there. I, I don't know. Everybody seemed to focus on the, the brothel situation. But it's really strange that we both had something similar like that come out. But but yours now, um, I, I love beating a, beating a Dead Horse. Beating a Dead Horse, which uh, w- which was fun. Because, um, of course, at, at the time I wrote that, which, uh, looking at my bibliography in front of me, my God, it was already 2006. Um <laughs> Yeah, a, a friend of mine, or uh, named um, Aaron Larson, who has written, has an anthology called "The Weird Western Adventures of Hakon Jones." Um, this was kind of funny with him. He uh, he had this anthology. I bought it from his uh, like Amazon Z shop, not realizing it was his. Um, you know, I just I saw the title and said, "Oh, I got to order this," and he. It turned out it was from the author directly. So he contacts me and says, 
are you the same Paul Wardlin who had a story called Wanted for Christmas in Underworlds magazine? Oh, crap. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah someone knows me. Hmm. Right. And he goes, oh, I love that story. And, and so he sent me the anthology, you know, to Paul, fellow weird Western writer, that type of thing. But then he recommended this anthology to me called Trails, Intriguing Stories of the Wild West, which was edited by David uh, B. Riley who uh, has several uh, Weird Western books and anthologies available. And uh, he was looking for Weird West stories. So when it came to beating a dead horse, I, of course, you know, the phrase is, you know, it's like trying to give life to something that no longer has life in it. And that's, at that time, that's kind of how I felt about my Weird West stories, because I was writing these things left and right. And, um, you know, it was very hard finding markets for them and, and getting people interested in them. So to me, beating a dead it was like my writing was like beating a dead horse. <laughs> and I said, you know what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I came up with this <laughs> crazy story about a guy who um, fights supernatural creatures for a living. It's fantastic. And- it's, it's such a great idea, very original um, and for some reason, you you made it believable, I, I, and it's something that shouldn't be. But you, you you feel the sweat, the blood, and everything. And I pictured the dude, um, the guy. I, I don't know if, he, if this is what he looked like, but in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the guy that gets killed by the propeller while fighting. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's who I pictured with a li- maybe a little bit of hair, that, but the muscle bound brute, you know, like that uh, gung ho from GI Joe, if you will. Right. <laughs> that's funny. That that's um, he's definitely one of these uh, you know uh, the, the, the shirtless uh, brawlers. Uh, Handlebar you know. mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just curious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I, I just had to fit uh, in that some for some reason. Uh, go on. I'm ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. You just threw me off. Um, yeah. He's just. Uh, yeah. I, I just. You know, all those fighters from back in the 1800s, like, you know, Gentleman Jim Sullivan and these, these, these types of guys. So, of course, he had to be Irish. So I came up with Fitzhugh and uh, didn't even give him a, a, a first name. He's just Fitzhugh. And he's just this guy who, is he completely, you know, uh, powerless or does he have some kind of supernatural ability going for him? And I, I, I deliberately left that up in the air. Yeah, you know? yeah, you did. I, I, well, we don't want to say too much, but Nelson's going to do a hell of a good job. I hope he picks that one first. I think he's going to do both of yours, but one of yours is kind of seasonal, so I don't know that he's going to... He may hold on to that, so, but I'm not sure. I, he may surprise us. Well, uh, I'm thrilled that he's reading any of them, really. Uh, as I said, this is this is fun for me, and it, if it give, you know uh, gets people into this, this subgenre, yeah. uh, I'm all for it, because I, I think we need these subgenres. We need more diversity yeah yeah and 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 everything really i'm thrilled i'm flattered and and i can't thank you much so much for doing this oh yeah me. man it, no problem it was a no-brainer I, I don't know why it took so long actually i kind of do because he has a list of people now one of them you're in good company uh joe lansdale i think you listened to that episode oh i i absolutely well joe lansdale is my favorite author contemporary author hands I've known down. that for a long time, yeah. And, and and it's not just because of the weird Western angle, and that certainly is what introduced me to his work. Um, it was actually, I, I have this um, collection called Dark Dreamers, Interviews with the Masters of Horror, uh, which was edited by Stanley Wyotter, 
And, of course, you have Stephen King and Clive Barker, mm-hmm. Peter Straub, Anne Rice. You know, all these people are interviewed in this book. And what was great about it is it introduced me to a whole bunch of other authors from that time period that I wasn't familiar with. And the interview with Joe Lansdale was my first introduction to him. And I love the interview. And Stan Weyarder's introduction to Joe and his work, he, he brings up Dead in the West, which was, he said, I can't remember exactly how he described it, but essentially it was uh, if George Romero had directed a Western. And I said, wow, I've got to track down this book. And this was in the early 90s. And at the time, you couldn't walk, even if you walked into a bookstore, Joe's books were just not regularly available. You had to special order these things. And um, so my actual first introduction to him was through the Jonah Hex series, Two Gun Mojo from Vertigo. Yeah, you introduced me to Hex way back during the comic book days in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, the, the the comic book days with Hex, of course, you you had him in the Old West, and then you had that really weird thing in the mid-80s after the Road Warrior mm. got popular, and so Hex was ripped out of the Old West and put into this post-apocalyptic future. Yes. And the comic was completely insane. But they, <laughs> yeah, you, you really liked it. You introduced me to that, and uh, I was, you know, that was during my Swamp Thing days, which I have to tell you, I'm back in. I got. I've collected every Swamp Thing that's come out, every edition since, and this one that's out now with the new Fifty Two. They're up to mm-hmm. like issue twenty. By the way, today is com- free comic book day. I'm going to the comic book store. That's what I need to do and get my latest issue of Swamp Thing. But um, yeah. I, I, do you know about free comic book day? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Okay. I've been uh, going to comic shops for years, uh, taking advantage of that. But yeah, and I was. I was doing, I'm sorry. I was listening. To, I, I was reading Swamp Thing, and you were doing Jonah Hex at that point. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So at that point, you know, yeah, I'd kind of gotten, even though I was familiar with his Western adventures, I was kind of into the whole Mad Max thing. So I was really into that at that time. I mean, you know, do the stories hold up these days? Probably not really, but (laughs) I I liked that era of DC. Yes. Was so innovative Mm -hmm. and so experimental because not only did you have. Alan Moore on Swamp Thing, oh, yeah. and Frank Miller on, on Dark Knight, Unreal. and of course Alan went on to do Watchmen, but DC was was just very experimental, where, you know, they brought in Howard Shaken to do The Shadow, where he oh. did this really warped... You got me into that, I forgot. Yes. Yes. Um, but you also had, and this was pre-Vertigo, you had mm-hmm. these really weird miniseries that, you know... Didn't were not the superhero stuff, no. and they hadn't really established Vertigo at that point. Right. So you had stuff like Slash Maraud oh, with wow. uh, by Paul Galassi and Doug, Doug Munch, and you had uh, Outcasts by uh, I think that was John Wagner, and and there was just just this really weird group of stories and storytelling that you know you didn't find in your latest issue of batman or whatever right and you paid a little bit more for them too if i recall i mean they were getting yeah, from 75 cents to like yeah the, like the deluxe format issues yeah, or, or what getting, have you. i think early 80s we started spending like 250 maybe a dollar 75 a comic at that point for some of those yeah the, yeah there was yeah. When, you, when, when we were really started getting into it yeah um, I, I think comics were still 60 cents and but yeah, in that yeah, five-year right. period, I think between 85 and 1990, I mean, they like 
doubled, yeah. if not tr outright tripled in certain instances. And, you know, the, the square bound uh, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen stuff, obviously, mm -hmm. was much more pricey. You, oh, um, you know what? You're forgetting a big one. A big, this is a heavy hitter for me, but because it was so underground. Do you remember Electric Warrior? Oh, yeah. yeah. You were really into Electric Warrior. It was I remember so that different. very much. It was like Judge Dredd with a Terminator, you know? I, yeah. I totally yeah. enjoyed it. But it was all these, all these sub... Uh, plots happening all intertwined great it ran for for a comic of its type i think it ran for about 25 issues which isn't too bad definitely i i and i wonder how something like that would do today i mean Ooh. that type of book I, I i wouldn't see coming out from dc anymore i'd right. see it we're coming out from dark horse or idw or image um yeah, but that—that's when that to me was was DC at its yep. finest. It was right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, so, so the whole superhero thing got relaunched, and then everybody just, you know, the editors there at the time, you know, just really let people go, let them have their ring. You know, to me, one of the ones that really gets lost that I I was a huge fan of was Mike Grell's Green Arrow. Oh well, I I have Green ba Green Arrow and the Longbow Hunters. The, uh, the Longbow Hunters was my favorite. I mean, yeah. that to me uh, that hit me in a way that Watchmen and the Dark Knight Returns did. Uh, it was beautifully painted, and because Grell took Oliver out of the superhero you know universe and turned him into an urban hunter, you know, this vigilante. So you know he's fighting you know drug dealers and white slavers and, you know, uh, CIA spooks and ninjas, and it just, <laughs> you have, like, the realistic, you know, maybe except for the ninjas, but you had, like, the realistic, <laughs> you know, street crime thing going, yeah. and, and you had Oliver exploring, or Mike Grell, rather, exploring Oliver's, you know, uh, first of all, he was aging, he was, he was in his 40s, and what it meant to be a vigilante in the 80s when we were getting, you know, the news was just full of, you know, Bernard Getz and, and yes, you know, yes. the much more violent world, you know. And so the idea of dressing up in a costume and smacking around another idiot in a costume and sending him <laughs> off to prison was one thing. But, you know, you had a guy where you had actual consequences. Yeah, yeah. Not only to the, 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 you know, the criminal's actions, but to himself. Because he deliberately killed somebody for the first time to save Dinah from being tortured. And so, you know, it was eating away at his soul because as the series went on, the subsequent series following the Longbow Hunters, you know, he became a killer. Yes. And the new, and, and as, and the new CW television series Arrow is kind of following that path. But, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not on par with that. Character. I, I'm, I'm not on par with that one. Interesting. Is yeah, it good? I mean, and, and to me, that was much more riveting to me as a reader oh. than as much as I... Don't get me wrong. I, I of course, enjoy Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns, and, and, and those seem to be the the, the, uh, the ped put on the pedestal yeah. as the turning point for superhero storytelling. But on a personal level, the Green Arrow stories were much more brutal hard hitting yeah and much and and the realism in that was, was just 
it just made more sense to me. Absolutely. Well, this is the sort of stuff that inspired me and you to, to go on with what we were doing. I mean, some of it rather insane. The, the other parts of it, well, I mean, we used to, this is probably one of the greatest memories because, you know, freaking seventh grade, well, all right, it fucking sucked. Okay, it, we, we, were, we were in an asbestos-ridden jail, basically. And we, all we had was, you know, me, you, Kevin Hartman, who, by the way, I, I've been talking to. But um, in between classes, me and you, Paul, again, I'm talking to Paul Wardlin here, writer. Look him up. Anyway, I, I have to reiterate that for these pilfering maniacs that just fast-forward through things. Um, but we, we between classes, would write comics, like, a page at a time for each other to do, because we wouldn't be in the same class. But we'd meet up in study hall and exchange what we wrote and draw. And, the, you know, neither one of us was an artist. But we ended up... stretch of the imagination. <laughs> seriously, man. Uh, but if we, if we knew somebody that could draw at the time, we had some great... We ended up with these gigantic notebooks full of stuff that I went on, by the way. I have 29 issues of my other comic I have not put out yet. But, um, it, you know, I do have a comic out now, World Zombie Wrestling Association, which is Planet of the Apes meets Buck Rogers with zombies. And, you know, now I'm kind of done with zombies, and the artist that I met, I was lucky to meet, John Towers, who got me started with podcasting back in the Red Horse Radio days. Um, he is an incredible artist that just asked me, hey, you want to write this with me? I'm like, hell yeah. So four issues later, and it was fun, and it, it was it's a hit when we go to Zombie Fest. Not so much at, like, you know, at Horror Realm. It, it, the people like it, but nobody's buying comics like they used to. Um, but it, it, it gets it gets kind of popular every now and then. It goes through the, you'll get these hits on the page. But I got to do my own comic. I said it, did it, and done. And that was a lot of fun. I have you to thank for that. And I, between that and the Muppets, I don't know. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> but yeah, we used to do. I, I'm, I, we I'm glad I was. I was uh, inspirational. Yeah, many yeah, I'm ways. glad you feel that because it's, it's so funny. Because I certainly years ago did try uh, to break into the comic thing, and, and in fact, uh, a, a lot of the um, my, my first western stories that, that I, I did write uh, because of Joe Lansdale's uh, Jonah Hex, yeah. um, I wrote originally as comic book scripts. I believe, and yeah. There was one that um, short story I had written and had, it, it's been illustrated. It has not shown up yet. Don't know if it ever will. It was, it was part of an anthology and it was, it was called gallows. And it's, it's just, I think it's one of the tightest things I've ever written. And, I want to read uh, it now. That's a great title. <laughs> and uh, thank you. Well, I, I, it's, it's actually, it's morphed since because I mean, I've literally had this thing for years and Every so often when friends of mine have been like, oh, you know, we're trying to put together another comic book anthology. I found an artist, and I'm like, oh, God, you, you know, we really want the Gallows story. And it's like, oh, i got to revisit this thing again. And I've had so many versions of it, and it's either, you know, a five-page version, an 11-page version, a 15-page version, and I've got them all saved. So I don't remember the length of the latest one, but I, I changed the title to God of the Gallows. And it's just, it's it's a great tale, and I, I hope it does see the light of day. Um, I don't want to get into specifics about right, right. the title of the book, because, I, again, I, I don't know. Well, you should always revisit your early works. That's something I've learned, because that's where your visceral stuff came from. And getting into visceral stuff, um, you have a little bit of background in recording as well. Uh <laughs> Should we get into... Oh, yeah, we should. Okay, so we used to do these radio dramas back in the days of cassettes and no editing, and what you called un- uninhibited acting. 
we were, I, 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 it probably has a lot to do that it was just, you know, two of us and a couple of other guys with a tape recorder <laughs> locked in a room and, and, uh, you know, with, uh, a bunch of LP soundtracks to, and, um, you know, some special effects that whether it was pots and pans or uh, recordings of, of, of gunfire. Yeah. From Indiana but, Jones, Mad Max. And what was the other one we used on vinyl? Uh, we used oh god, what was it? It, uh, it was Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, uh, the Road Warrior with the special effects suite, which included the, the boomerang effect and and the uh, the starting up of the truck. And That's the why I'm laughing right now. Binary. We we just wanted to have an excuse to use that really cool boomerang we, sound we effect. So, so we, you invented Templeton Hawthorne. I, Templeton. <laughs> Templeton Hawthorne, who was who was our, our, our Austri- Colonel Templeton Hawthorne, who was our, our crazy Australian. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. He was like a soldier or a scientist. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we did our own version of uh, the thing. John Carpenter's the thing, but uh, right, and, and it was John Carpenter's the thing. And we made fun uh, of every race possible, including our own. I mean, just I, and with the Australian hero and the boomerang, just a reason to use a boomerang. Just effect. the reason to put the boomerang in there, and 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 his his uptight attitude would would actually came from. Uh, there is this movie um, from 1963. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Of course, you know one of the greatest comedies ever done. And um, you know, we actually Jonathan Winters was in that, and we just lost him recently. Mm. But uh, there was there was the character Colonel Hawthorne in there, who was played by Terry Thomas, who was this English comedian with a big gap in his teeth, and he was always this kind of upper class British twit, and he was kind of sort of the inspiration for Templeton, although, of course, Templeton was Australian, although my bizarre accent could have gone either way. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome, though. We learned a lot doing that, and I think that's why Nelson does his show by himself. Um, he can he, he doesn't really have to do too many voices. It's all he does really well with just the imagination, but he will do, use inflections now and then. However, we learned that you, um, well, let's talk about John O'Malley. God bless the kid. I don't know what became of him, uh, but yeah, yeah. we we hired hired him as a well a hired gun for another character because we can only do so many ourselves. And every time he did more than one character, he was talking to himself because he never changed <laughs> his voice, and it was just awful. We would just look at each other like we can't do this. <laughs> like John's in the corner talking to himself, man. What the fuck are we gonna do here? <laughs> that was like our bad version of Jaws. We tried to do that just didn't work out. Oh god, it was but, that one and, and Alien. Yeah, Alien did not work out either. Just so sad. <laughs> yeah, but John talking to himself. I, Dude, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I know, it was just, he, he, what he, he was like Captain Dallas and then another character. I don't remember who Stick else. Stick to the was. script. Uh, that that was our first firing, I think. <laughs> I think it had to be. It was just, it was so sad. Oh, man, but funny at but the same I, time. I think our two most successful ones, obviously, was, was The Thing yes. and Hour of the Dead. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, how original could you get? It's like, I forgot well, about that. Oh, night or day, and this is only going to take about an hour. Let's call it Hour of the Dead. <laughs> I forgot about that. We did a zombie radio show. Oh, my God. So, because, you know, and, and I, I was the steel character. We called him Irons. And, and, and you were Rickles, but we called you Pickles. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, and shit. I think you were the bub character. You, know, so you were Boob. We called you Boob. And, and I was the, uh, the professor. Oh, man. Uh, Frankenstein, uh, oh god, Logan. I hope John Russo does not hear this episode. Granted, 
he, he's a regular here around here, and he's a good friend of mine now. And you know, he of course the writer of Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead with Dan O'Bannon too. Uh, if he heard this right now, I, I don't think he'd talk to me ever again. <laughs> yeah, maybe edit this part out. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, he's he's he just shakes his head when he sees me now. It's pretty funny. Yeah, Jesus, him again. <laughs> He's a nice guy, though, very nice guy. Yeah. Uh, but I want to get into that, too. Not just the uh, the recordings that we did, but, um, y- oh, my God. I mean, you you influenced me with punk rock. We were, what, again, between 11 and 13 years old. Punk rock was, in New York, was still around, but dying. Hardcore was pretty, pretty much hitting at the time. But you had two, well, two movies and one soundtrack. Uh, Repo Man, you introduced me to that movie which is an American punk rock classic soundtrack. And, of course, there was um, Return of the Living Dead soundtrack. So much good stuff on there. And you, it's funny, you told me that you're not the biggest punk rock fan, yet you had one of the pivotal albums well, <laughs> on yeah, vinyl. It, it, right, and, and it's it's strange because, um, again, I, I, I got music that appealed to me, and I didn't really think about it genre-wise, you know. It was just, I loved the movie, I loved the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and I mean, Surf and Dead by The Cramps, Party Time by 45 Grave, oh. Burn the Flames by Rocky Erickson, I mean, these are, and, and I think it was just the way they were utilized in the film, you know, yeah. I, you, you know, it's, it, when you watch the film, the moments when that skeleton pops up out of the grave and you hear, do you want a party? <laughs> I mean, it is a perfect blend of visual yeah. And, and music, and so and it makes sense, especially around that time period, because MTV was at the height of its popularity. So I think a lot of films were being crafted with that in mind, Do you more know, so than than ever before. You'll appreciate, you know, this, with, Paul. You know, I, I got to tell you. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. I just got to tell you real quick. Um, I got a chance to when I was interviewing John Russo. It was I think the second time um, he was sitting in right here in Helm's Deep HQ is what I call it uh, with me and Heather. And he, I played Party Time in the background. <laughs> and <laughs> on top of that, he has his own music. He actually, he, I have an album he gave me. Now I, I blended that in to see if he didn't notice the difference. And when it came on, I was like, "You recognize this?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> it's from your movie. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, he he recalled it later, but it didn't really hit. I, I told him like the soundtrack is so classic to that. It, it meant a lot to me. Uh, for him, you know, just writing the act. He has the original screenplay, and he still sells that too. It, it, it does. He does well. He does well with that. But just to have that chance, you know, to, the creator of the movie, you know, and then I'm playing the soundtrack that I've been the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, yeah, that that that's he's a cool dude. You would love talking to him. He, he has a new movie out too, um, uh, Soul, Soul, uh, Mob Boss and the Soul Singer, which I got to see. He gave me a ticket. It was really cool, and I got to see him introduce it. And it's a fun movie, you know. Just oh. he, yeah, I, look it up. I think it's online for purchase right now. But okay, I, I'll, I'll definitely uh, check that out. Hey, John, I plugged you again, man. All right, <laughs> go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were talking about soundtracks. Soundtracks that make sense. Yeah, and and uh, you know, so the the other. Uh, scene I was going to bring up was when um, uh, Frank's character, who was played by James Caron, <laughs> and, and and he knows what he's becoming, he's been turned into a zombie, and, and but he, <laughs> he flees, and, and he goes to the crematorium. Yes. And he's got, he's got you know, his, his wedding band on, and he pulls it off, and he kisses it, 
who puts it on the switch is goodbye to his wife, and he tosses himself in the crematorium. It's a messed up scene. Rocky Erickson's Burn the Flames is playing. Yes. And for a film that was horrifying and comedic, had it was a very touching moment. Yes. It was messed up. That's a messed up scene. And to go from that to laughing in the next scene, that's that's a certain expertise that you don't get anymore. They can't do it. Yeah, I'd say the the, the closest that's come to that, uh, that absolutely outright horror comedy, would be Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, well done, of course. Which is absolutely brilliant. And and, uh, I I think that's probably one of the better zombie movies of recent because the characters and, and they, that's already going back a decade already. So. And the characters have emotion. You know, you cared about them. They're, they're not, you know, one dimensional. Now we, we did a show. We did a show and, too. And, and even when you, and when you look back at, at, at the Return of the Living Dead cast, and, uh-huh. and you know, you, you could say how okay, you got you know, you know, it's kind of the, the mixed racial thing going on, you know, and you know, they're all kind of uh, you know cliched and everything. But these were characters. Archetypes. Yeah. Archetypal. You know, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, as crazy as, as a lot of them were, like whether it was suicide or trash, you know. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's just when it when it came down to it, they all kind of cared about each other. Even and, though they were, and, they were dumb punk rockers, but yeah. Yeah, and, and you saw, like, like those scenes. I think it was with... Um, oh, gosh, i got to look up the character's name. So you can, you can edit this part out. But I, I know, <laughs> um, you know, it, it was... Yeah, good thing I have it up on the internet here. Uh, Jewel Shepard playing Casey. Yeah. And John Philbin is Chuck. And, you know, Chuck's been trying to get into her pants the entire movie. And she's, (laughs) you know, she's not having it. And so the two of them end up trapped together, fleeing the zombies. Yeah. And she's all freaking out. and, And he's trying to, you know, be manly for her and everything. And then she finally just tells him to shut up. But she does want him to hold her. Yeah, and you know, and it's it's just it's it's little moments like that that yeah. I don't seem I don't feel I get anymore. In, 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 no. in terms. yeah, hard to find. In general, to find. but it doesn't even matter what genre it is. It's just in general, I just don't seem to get things like that. Yeah, well, it, Heather and I did a, a show on soundtracks that made sense, and of course, The Crow was up there. All the Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie flicks. He, he I love what he does with seventies music. Train Spotting, Dazed and Confused goes without saying. And you brought up uh, when I talked to you last Tarantino movies. Yeah, but yeah, Tarantino definitely. I mean, kind of Pulp Fiction yep. itself, and and of course, recently Django Unchained. I mean, he just I did. I got to see it. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Okay, wonderful I movie. trust you. Yeah, um, but yeah, he 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 knows what he has that love for music, and he has and he knows where he wants it and what impact it's going to make with the scene. Okay, and. Um, you know, so it's really interesting that he uh, just goes through his entire, you know, collection, whether it's, you know, buried in his memory or he's going through his 45s and his LPs, because that's where he's digging the stuff up from. In fact, the Django Unchained soundtrack has a little note from Tarantino. He said, you may hear the occasional hiss or pop from here because this isn't, these aren't remastered. Digitally, these the original sources yes. for the soundtrack are from LPs. Lo-fi, man, lo-fi. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, also now. Um, I played a song for you earlier. Uh, just not to change topics here, but I think that song I played would be a great soundtrack song. But that massive and mensch, did you like that? 
I did, I did. That that it, it seems like a, like a really wild throwback to eighties yes, electronica. It, it is very eighties, so, yeah. It, and it's from the anthology Electronic uh, Saviors, like I said, which uh, I'm trying to get out there for people to buy. It goes to a good cause. My friend Jim Simonic, who survived cancer, created this. He had these bands contact him basically and send him music, and they put it out there, and they raised a lot of money. Uh, undisclosed amount, but it's somewhere between twenty and thirty-three thousand at this point. They're going to make an announcement about that. But you went to a good cause, and that's a good song, and it is very eighties. I like that. Now you were going to introduce me to a band, um, Asphalt Green. Asphalt Green. Uh, these guys—they're out of Paranus, uh, New Jersey, okay. and uh, my good friend Rob Janos is the, uh, the principal songwriter and singer uh, behind them. And they came out with an album uh, last year, I believe it was called uh, Sinners, Tricksters, Killers, and Saints. Wow. Well, that's and, uh, yeah, and that basically does does cover them. I mean, you know, it, they're just uh, uh, an amazing group. Okay. And uh, this one song that I, I sent you called Duster. Okay. Which now, now, now Rob and I, you know, we get along because we've got the whole Spaghetti Western uh, thing uh, in, in, in common. And it's, and, you know, and Rob's... Rob's in his mid twenties, you know, and so it's it's like, all right, I'm so glad young people are still discovering these films, and you know, Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood, and and are really into it, and he loved the Ennio Morricone soundtracks to like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and and uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, so he developed this wonderful song called Duster. Hmm. And it's like Morricone meaning Zeppelin. It is just an amazing, Whoa. amazing song, and that that that's on on this album and, and a bunch of other good stuff. They are great, tight band. Okay, and uh, you know they uh, they perform uh, all over the tri-state area. They're going to be in Hoboken on May 10th. I don't know if the show's going out before then, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Give them a little plug. And uh, you can find them on Facebook, and uh, you know the album's available on iTunes. And uh, check it out; it's Very good. just wonderful, wonderful. Group. Will they let me play their music? Absolutely. Okay, because oh, yeah. I'll play it. Um, I, I, I'm one. If I do play, I tend to go and buy stuff too. So I'm one of the old school. You know, I am. Um, yeah. Well, to, just to wrap things up here, we got to talk about real quick. Where can we find your stuff? Okay, well, Twisted Tumbly Tales is uh, an ebook right now. It's currently available uh, for uh, Kindle, Nook, iPad. You know, so you can find it on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, the uh, the uh, I- iBooks. Um, you could also go directly to Crossroad Press and buy it from there. Um, that that's my my uh, my publisher, David Neal Wilson. Is is uh, he's a fantastic uh, horror author uh, of his own, and he's the one who has created Crossroad Press as being uh, by authors and for authors. And, you know, he's been bringing a lot of uh, older uh, horror books back into print, um, you know, by by Joe Lansdale, by Chet Williamson, Clive Barker, Skip Inspector. I mean, these are the classic guys uh, if you want to be reading horror fiction, these are the guys you should be checking out. And, and David's got all these ebooks available, as well as various other genres. It's not just horror. He's got science fiction and, and Western and crime and all sorts of great stuff. So definitely check them out. Um, also, my book is available as an audiobook. Cool. Um, and uh, also available through Crossroad Press, and you can get it through Audible. 
And uh, you could also check me out. I've got a blog that I don't really write as often as I should. It's been a couple of years, sadly. But um, it is called Strange Coach, and it's I review weird westerns on there. I like that. Um, so I, it's uh, dot com. You can check those out. Um, I've also uh, contributed to uh, feoamante, uh, dot com, and that's Fio Amante's horror homepage. Um, I wrote uh, a lot of uh, reviews for his site, uh, mostly film reviews. In fact, I reviewed every single Nightmare on Elm Street film, with the exception of the remake on that website mm, and mm. return of the living dead <laughs> very cool all right man i appreciate all that man um well what we're probably going to do because we have a lot of shows scheduled up we're gonna probably get you out there around the same time that your story gets read on the wicked library so we'll have a walloping of wardlin if you will <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. what the hell's wrong with me all right so listen hey folks thanks for tuning in mr paul wardlin thanks for swinging by and uh we're gonna play some music here and uh we'll talk to you again soon paul thanks again it was good to catch up Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Don't forget to catch Mr. Paul Wardlin. He will be on the Wicked Library tomorrow night, depending on when you hear this. Um, just check out his story, Paul Wardlin, at the Wicked Library at Society 13. Uh, please check out all our shows there, Mouthing Off and TBA with Mr. Pink. If you guys are into the political thing or if you just like to hear radical stuff, it's fun. Um, and just, again, Paul Wardlin on the Wicked Library starting uh, June 7th, I believe, is when it's actually going to hit. And we got uh, just some creepy Western stuff for you. And uh, tune into Nelson W. Piles with the Wicked Library. I know I will be. And uh, right now I'm going to play some Jet Noir for you. This is brand new Hot Off the Press she sent to me literally about four days ago. You remember Jet Noir from earlier on? You could hear her episode. It's still up there at society13network.wordpress.com. Good night, folks. Thanks for listening.
Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.